Would you turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 21 if uh, if you've got a Bible? If not, the words will appear in a, in a moment on the screen. Um, we're actually, sorry, I, I, it's a bit of an early cue. We're not actually going to read from it straight away. So um, when Hannah and I were moving from Nottingham to Manchester two years ago to, to start Revelation Church, um, not only were, when we were looking for a home in which to live in, um, it felt like a really big deal. Um, and not only because we were moving to a brand new city that we'd never lived in before, not only because um, we were uh, we were starting a new church, bold, courageous move for God, all of those kind of things, um, but because unlike our uh, the only other house that we'd bought in Nottingham, which we knew we were only going to live in for five years or so, this house we were starting to think conceivably we could live in this house for pretty much the rest of our life. So it wasn't just a temporary low stakes purchase, but this is a house we were going to live in and we called it, you might have heard this phrase before, our forever home. Um, and when you start to look through a house purchase through that lens, it starts to change everything. You start to think, is that crack on the wall going to cost me 20 grand in 30 years time? Or you start to really care about the area that you live in. Is there some decent coffee shops in within a, a good walking distance, which is an absolute essential? And also, what do you think the area is going to look like in, in 15 years, 20 years time? And you start to even think in those kind of terms. And you start to really look at your neighbours and think, do we think we could be friends with these people? And you make snap judgments of just like two seconds of seeing them. And of course, more important than any of those things, you start to really care what is the Wi-Fi speed like at this property? That when you are going to be living somewhere forever, you start to really care about what it looks like and you want to know what is this place going to be? And we are in a teaching series at the moment called A Certain Future. And we're looking in the last chapters of Revelation. And we are looking at this because, as you know, particularly given last night, we are in a, a time of deep uncertainty as, uh, as a whole society, as a whole, a whole globe. Um, the whole world is, has been plunged into this, whether we feel it on a daily basis or not. We are living in uncertainty. And I saw, I was out for a run the other day and I saw an HSBC advert that said simply, uncertainty is the only certainty. And I thought, yep, that is pretty much how it feels right now. But the reason that we're doing this series is because we actually, there actually is a certainty that we can have about our future. That scripture tells us that there is somewhere in our future that we can fix our hope. And the only way that we can live in the good of this hope that we have is by consciously training our minds and choosing to believe this is where I'm going and this is where I'm going to be living. And so we have to actively choose to train our minds in this is where my future lies. And so today's message I'm calling Forever Home. And for the next three weeks, we are going to be looking at what does it look like to live in, what is our eternal home? What is our future gonna look like with God? And we have arrived at this place through working through some of the challenging passages of, of the fall of Babylon, of, um, uh, of the millennium passage and all of the confusion there and the final judgment and the, how that challenges us. And now we arrive at all that revelation and indeed creation is building towards. And so today we're going to start to look at all that we have to look forward to and see how actually within it, 
we have an invitation today to start living something of what our eternal future is going to look like. So I'm looking forward to, to jumping in. And I think particularly given all that we're facing, it is so relevant for us at the moment. So Revelation chapter 21, the words will appear on the screen. We'll read from verse one through to verse eight. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. And we see there right at the end, verse eight, um, an allusion to the final judgment that we looked at last week. You can watch that on YouTube um, and just some of the the, the, the reality of, of the judgment that is to come. And it's essential that we understand that that is the passage we have just looked at. That judgment doesn't happen just in isolation. It's not an end in and of itself. Uh, God isn't just pouring out his wrath on evil because that's who he is and that's and that he just he just wants to punish evil but there is reason and purpose behind it that it flows into this passage that his his judgment is poured out because he sees the evil and death that is corrupting and destroying his creation and his society as he longs for it to be and he is committed to bringing about creation as it is meant to be, as it is intended to be. And so judgment has to happen. And it's essential that we understand that judgment happens because it flows into this, that through judgment, newness can come forth. And the newness that we see in verse one is this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We saw last week in the in the final judgment passage that the earth and the sky fled away in the presence of God, that that was the end of time. That was the end of creation, that there is a day coming where this world, this earth is going to pass away. And following on from that immediately will come that time where we are before God and before his throne. And then following on from that, what this says here is that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
This is directly prophesied in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66 in the Old Testament. It uses exactly those words. It says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and in, in the language of prophecy, it can be quite difficult to work out. What does that actually mean? What's he alluding to? But here we see it in a brighter color and a more full picture that this is going to be a real creation. This is going to be a new world that will come after this earth has passed away. That it will be a physical created world just like this, a real place that comes after. And it says it's going to be new and we might think how are we meant to understand the newness of it? And this is something that's debated and there's no way that we can give a really final clear answer on, on what that is. But I think Romans 8 really really helps us. Um, because in Romans 8, Paul seems to link the renewal of the saints, so us, and us receiving our resurrection bodies that we will have for eternity, with creation also being renewed. Which I think really helps us understand what this newness means. That it talks about creation kind of groaning and being in agony and, and waiting and longing for the, its own renewal to happen. And I think then we, if we can understand it in similar ways to our own resurrection body, then we can look at the, the accounts of Jesus receiving his resurrection body and think, oh, there'll be similarities and, and parallels there. So when Jesus came out of the tomb in his resurrection, he had a whole new body. It was a, it, it was a completely new thing. It was free from any kind of decay, any kind of corruption anything that any signs of aging or anything like it's very difficult to imagine what that might look like but we know it was perfect it's a perfect eternal body that he was for want of a better phrase wearing but also we know that there was a continuity with his previous body before he was raised because the disciples and, the, and Mary recognize him they know it's him that's how they know that he has been risen, because it looks like Jesus in a very recognisable way. And so whilst he was totally new in essence, there was also a continuity that went through. And I think we can say that that's, we can, with a bit of confidence, that's what the new creation will look like. That it will be like this, and it, well, it will be completely new, but it will be a continuation There'll be similarities. It will be like this, but better. Like this, but more. That whatever you love about this creation, it will be like that, but a more a fuller, a more complete version. Crucially, it will be like it, but without any sense of corruption or decay. You know, everything that we have ever experienced in this life has been in some way tainted by sin. Again, Romans 8 says that, that the creation is in bondage to corruption. Everything is marred by and tainted by, by the powers of death and evil that have performed some kind of hostile takeover on creation. I know that that's, that's very difficult for us to imagine that somehow a Five Guys burger is in all of its glory is not absolutely perfect. 
that Hannah made some some brownies just this week. She made some Oreo brownies, which I think actually some people from the church got to experience and taste. And I think they were one of the best things that I have ever tasted. I tasted it and thought, this is perfection. And they were vegan. It did, my head exploded when I found that out. In some way, that is not how a brownie is meant to taste, which is a trite example, but everything that we have experienced is not as it should be. But what we see here is that one day we will experience it without any of the, any, any lack, any loss. We will experience creation in its fullest. I, I know I'm probably already painting the picture, but just to point out and be explicit about, this is not going to be boring. There is gonna be endless exploration for us to have, endless adventure, endless experience for us to enjoy. This is just a little bit of my own speculation, um, so you can take it or leave it, but in the way that this creation was always meant to be time limited, but now the future new creation is going to be eternal and unlimited by time. In a similar way, I wonder if, because Earth was always meant to be time limited, it was always meant to be space limited as well. And so whilst there is only so much Earth to go round, I wonder if the new Earth might be absolutely unlimited in space, that there will always be more to discover, always more to, to pique our intrigue and to get hold of and to chase after and to find out about. I might be wrong about that. But I promise that when you get to the new creation, you are not going to be like, oh my goodness, this is such a disappointment. Duncan said it was going to be like this and I've been let down. That will not be the emotion that you're experiencing. But it's, it's very natural for us. When we start to think about the new creation, we start to think, what is going to be there? What will I have to enjoy? Will five guys make it through the final judgment and have franchise opened in the new earth? But as we go through the passage, I think we see that actually God is not concerned with those same questions that we might be. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God, as we can see on the screen there. In the 1930s, as the movie industry was starting to boom, Hollywood studio bosses realized that if they wanted people to pay attention and to know about their movie, they had to try and make sure that people's eyeballs saw it seven times in order to t pay attention and in, in order to want to go and see their film. We don't have the same thing laid out seven times here in this verse quite, but we do have it laid out four times. If we could just have that next slide laid up, it's the same verse, but just laid out in a slightly different way that here in verse three, we see God say something, the same thing four times. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Just a, a little Bible interpretation tip. If you're reading a passage and it says something once, you should think, oh, I'll take note of that, it's in scripture. If you read something twice, you should perhaps think, oh, I think I, I might really need to pay attention to this and to hear this. 
if you read something three times, you should probably be in the realm of, I think God really wants me to pay attention. If you read something four times in one verse, it is the equivalent of a neon flashing sign in front of your face saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention to what I am saying here. And if that wasn't enough, notice who is speaking. The beginning of verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying. This is directly coming from the mouth of God. Why is that significant? Because this is the first time that any words have come from the mouth of God in the book of Revelation since chapter one. We have had 20 chapters of silence from God and now he has decided to speak. I, he has waited until now for a divine pronouncement to come from the throne. He wants us to know he is going to be with us and this new creation what he wants us to know first and foremost is this is the place where God is going to dwell with his people he says it over and over and over again in just one verse that God is just not interested in telling us what the weather is going to be like in new creation or just how gooey the brownies are going to be or how many jet skis you're going to own or what speed the wi-fi will be in heaven no He's saying, all you need to know about this place is that I will be there, is what God says. And here we see, I think, a divine deconstruction of the myth of materialism. These chapters here in Revelation give us the most detailed picture we have of what our eternal home, our future with God looks like and where we will dwell. And yet, despite all of their detail and the length at which it goes on, there is very little material detail of what it is going to be like. But repeatedly we learn God is going to be there. This is why it's good. God is going to be there. This is what it's going to look like. God is going to be there. His glory will shine there. And I have to be honest, as a 21st century Westerner, I sometimes find it, and I wonder if you can relate to this, I sometimes find it hard to get really excited about what that will look like. And I think I know why. Because my whole experienced framework for life and the whole way that I have been formed by society, which is such a huge influence on all of us. The way that I have been formed is that the whole life, the good life, the life that is full, happens and is oriented around stuff. That I need to have the right things. I need to have the right amount of money in the bank. I need to live in the right place. Even I need to go and have the right experiences at the right place in the world. Or, you know, go, go to the right city breaks or whatever it might be. That it is all centralised around interacting with the created world. Do you see that? I wonder if you can relate to that. 
And that I, my own experience of, well, what does it look like to be happy? Well, if I can't have these things, then I can't be happy. If I can't have good coffee, how on earth could I be happy? If I can't have the, the, the perfect once in a lifetime holiday at some point in my life, how on earth will I be able to be happy? I wonder if you're the same. I wonder if you find it hard to get captivated by the imagery of the new creation because it doesn't have detailed description of what this place is gonna look like and what we'll have. This is not a limitation on the Bible or on new creation itself or even a limitation on how the Bible describes what the new creation is going to look like. God is not bad at marketing. He hasn't missed a trick here. This shows just how limited our understanding can be of what a good and whole eternal future can look like. That I think again, speaking personally, it exposes to me that I would, there's part of my heart that would rather have the created rather than the creator, even in this perfected realm. That this new perfected place, the new earth, it's not perfect because of all of the stuff that we're going to have and that what it's going to look like and what's in it. It's perfect because of who is there. This place it is not about more, more, more. It's not about location, location, location. It is about presence, 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 presence. God, his dwelling is with man. He will be with them. They will be his people. God himself will be there as their God. The presence of God in all of its fullness and all of its totality. And look what happens when God is present with his people. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. This is what it looks like when we're in the presence of God. These are some of the most beautiful, hope-filled verses that, the, that scripture has for us. I just want you to take a moment to imagine something of what this might look like. A created realm where there is no terminal illness. There's no refugees drowning. There's no birth defects. There's no miscarriages. There's no police shootings. There's no looming threat of nuclear war. There's no disappearing loved ones, there's no white supremacy, there's no dementia, there's no modern day concentration camps, there's no teenagers stabbed, there's no pandemics, there's no four week lockdowns, there's no separation from loved ones, there's no enforced distance from physical contact, there's no loneliness, there's no hopelessness. We are far more acquainted with these kind of things than we are made to be. 
we are not built to be able to experience these things and to carry them. And so that is why when we encounter these things, it feels like they overwhelm us and it feels like they can crush us and take us down. But this verse here says that is not the case. This verse here says that is not going to happen. I, I imagine, I'm sure that watching today, there are some people who feel totally crushed by the news of yesterday. You're thinking, I don't know what's going to happen to my job. I don't know where money's going to come from. You might be thinking, I just, I just don't know if my well-being, my mental well-being will be able to cope and survive through these next four weeks and the, the, the blank space that then lies beyond that of, of what things will look like. You might be more worried about loved ones and friends and families and you think, I just don't know if they're going to be able to cope with the loneliness that they're facing and I can't do anything and I feel so helpless and I feel so hopeless. Even in the pain, we can fix our eyes on this day. That as much as it does feel like we are stuck in this just a, a circular, endless cycle of uncertainty and, and, and lack of clarity over what is going to happen, those days are going to come to an end and that future looks like this. Where death, pain, mournings, crying, taken away. They are no more. They will have passed. There is a day coming where we will be released from the grip of these things and they will just be a distant memory. Do you know what's going to happen in the new creation? We are going to have a conversation and someone will say to another person, do you remember tears? Do you remember mourning and grief? Do you remember that thing, death? And the other person will say, oh yeah, vaguely. It kind of rings a bell because those things will, have, will be from a different age. They will literally be from another world, a world that has passed away. They will no longer resonate with us. They won't have the emotional pull. They will not be able to drain us and take us down anymore. They will be like a dream. You know, when you wake up and you're like, I know I had a dream, but I can't remember any of the details. And I can't imagine, I can't remember any of the emotions that were connected to it. I just remember there was a dream. That is what death is going to be to us. And notice how all of those things happen through the very presence of God. The beginning of verse four doesn't just say tears are going to be taken away. It says in his presence, verse three, God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. He will wipe them away. Here we see the tender activity of God among his people that he is relational, he draws close, that relational intimacy and tenderness actually runs right through this passage. In verse two, we are referred to as God's bride. And in verse seven, let me read it to you. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And then we saw in verse three, he's not just saying four things over and over again to repeat information. 
you see a sense the heart of God. He's saying, I'm going to dwell with my people and they're going to be with me and I'll be with them and they'll be with me and I'll be with them and they'll be with me. You get something of his heart. Greg Beale in his commentary, he's basically the expert on revelation. So you can just read his book if you want rather than listen to me. But he says these verses construct a picture that speak of the closest possible relationship between God and his people. And note the relational dynamics that we see here. God puts himself in the role of husband to his people and father to his people. These roles that where he is set up to serve and care for his people in close union. This is the unveiling of our eternal future. This is the big moment where the curtain comes up and we get to see it. And what do we see? The tenderness and the closeness of God with us. God drawing near to us. The first thing that God wants us to know about this new creation, the first thing is that this is going to be a place where we get to enjoy maximum relationship with him. And do you know what he said and says about that relationship? He says that in the place of maximum relationship will be the place where I can then pour out maximum blessing on your life. That he has, he has engineered this whole thing, not so that we would, he would make himself the centre and we would be circled around him in order to serve him, which would be completely fair and perhaps expected from us that surely we will be there to serve God. Now he has constructed this eternal future for us, not that we might serve him, but that forever and eternally it would be a place where he can serve us that he can just pour himself out in blessing and anointing. <laughs> he just gives himself to us for our benefit, that we, that we might be blessed. This is the very heart of God towards us. Apologies, I'm getting a little bit teary, bit ironic, giving me a wipe away every tear. But this is who God is. He he's the one who pours himself out and sacrifices and gives himself to his people that we might receive life. That You might have picked this up already, but in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to a lot and he is referred to almost entirely as the Lamb of God. That an eternal reminder that he is the one who has poured himself out, that has given himself and sacrificed himself, that we might receive life, that in his presence we might be enriched. And one of the remarkable things about this passage is that what it points to is we, we don't have to wait for this. We don't have to wait to enjoy God as our Father. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, he, he encourages his people now, today, to refer to him as Father. We don't have to wait to become the bride of Christ. That We're not waiting for that day to be called the bride. We are already called the bride. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says we're the bride now. 
we don't have to wait. Verse 6 says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, a free gift of the water of life. Again, another image from here. Jesus said in John chapter 6, anyone who's thirsty now, come to me and you can drink the water of life without payment. Now, this can be yours. That all of these images of, of the closeness of God, all of these images of the relationship that we can have with him, of the presence of God, are images that we find in the New Testament that are descriptors of what we have now and who we are now. That in here, I think we also see an invitation to begin to live this life of enjoying the presence of God now. We have seen already the, the divine critique, I think, of, of materialism um, and, and that that which is created cannot make us whole, but only the creator can. That wholeness of life will only come through, through being with him. That we can only truly enjoy creation when we are finding ourselves in the presence of God and full of his presence. And full of his wholeness. Then we can enjoy the created realm. And my guess is that many of us today are deeply lacking in wholeness. We don't feel whole. We don't feel full. We don't feel satisfied. I think this global pandemic has led us into more of a sense of emptiness as a society and, and perhaps even within the church than we have known in, in many years. I don't think there has been a time in my life, probably you would also be able to, to say, where you have been more aware of your lack and more aware of our lack. And I actually think that this is God's gift to us. That in this time, particularly right now, where we are more detached from the creative, created world than we have ever been, where we are unable to go to different locations in, in, with as much freedom as we have been able to before. And now we sit at, our, at home and weirdly, we also have the world at our fingertips, but we're increasingly finding out that even though however much Netflix we watch, however many things we Amazon Prime, they don't feel, fill this hole that we have. The created world is not enough for us. I think we have been given this opportunity. I think at least part of what God is doing through this whole time is... He's giving us this opportunity to see just how much we need him. Don't you want your story through this pandemic to be just that? To be able to say, yeah, look, the pandemic sucked. I hated it. It was, it was awful. I never would have chosen it. I, I really didn't enjoy it. But what came out of it and what I got from it and what I emerged from it with is I just knew how to get hold of the presence of God in my life. I knew how to connect with him. I knew what it was like to tangibly be able to experience him with me, to know a deeper level of relationship and communion with him. Don't you want that? Don't you want that to be your story as you come out? That we have to take this opportunity. I felt God speaking to me personally, and this is just a personal thing, but just saying to me, Look, if, if you don't learn it now, when will you learn it? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity, a once in a generation thing that we are going through right now. 
And I believe that God wants to, to lead us into his presence all the more. And so to end with, I want to get really practical for us um, and just give us three top tips for beginning to cultivate the presence of God in our life. Um, that particularly if you're new to some of this, you might find helpful. So tip number one, when you wake up, don't touch your phone until you have touched your Bible. Right in at the deep end. This is one of the most countercultural disciplined things that many of us will need. That, I mean, it sounds easy, doesn't it? Just don't touch your phone, touch, get, go for your Bible. But it is, it is hard for many of us to do this. But I don't know about you. When I look at my phone for only five minutes, it is like a drawer of junk has just been emptied into my brain. That my mind just gets full of all kinds of stuff. And what happens is that we don't just become distracted in those five minutes that we're looking at our phone, but our minds from that point on for the rest of the day become distracted and are kind of formed into distraction. And knowing and sensing and being in the presence of God is, is so helped by being able to, to give some attention to it and give some focus to it. And so it's not that looking at our phones is gonna prevent us from experiencing the presence, but I think we can really help ourselves by taking that formational step of, actually, I'm gonna look at scripture first. So that's number one. And hopefully then you do the other two as a result of it. Because number two is read a Psalm and pray it. The Psalms are a book of prayers in the Bible and they are absolute gold dust to us right now because they the psalmists pray through all of the emotions of human experience and show us how to bring those to God and to process them in his presence they are a gift to us right now and they they help us to be able to articulate and put language to all of the ups and downs that we're feeling internally and that are going on with us and so I would say just pick any, basically any psalm, start wherever you like and just make your way through them once a day or, uh, or whatever and read it, meditate on it. And then here's a crucial step, pray it out loud. When we speak out the psalms, when we, when we speak out our prayers, we're, we're engaging our minds, we're engaging our bodies and we're engaging our souls in a much more meaningful way in in scripture and so connecting with God and so as you see something that you want to give thanks for or think actually I'm feeling that emotion I need to express it practice expressing these things verbally to God and then finally ask God for his presence say to God God would you come and fill me up would you come and give me more of yourself would you come and help me know that you're near help help me experience some of your goodness in my life I want to taste of God I want more of your presence I know that I need that, I, that nothing else will do for me I need you God would you come to me I've been praying this prayer every single day just saying God I need you I know I need you I wish I thought I needed you more and just saying God would you come and then just wait if you really can't stand the silence, maybe pray under your breath in English or whatever language or perhaps tongues if you speak in tongues or just sit in silence and be patient before God and say to God that I'm, I'm surrendering, surrendering some of my morning to you and saying that you don't have to show up in my timing. I'm going to give you a bit of my morning to come and, and be with me and to come and fill me up. These things are all completely optional, of course. You don't have to do all of them. You don't have to do any of them. But, but do do something 
to start engaging with the presence of God and with God himself more. He is the God of, of closeness and of relationship and of tenderness. We need him in our lives. And there is a, a day coming where we will be with him in fullness. We'll be with him in the perfection of his presence. We will be in a city that shines with the brilliance of his, of who he is. And we're going to look at more of that next week. The city of God. But for now, God is longing for us to get hold of this relationship and to experience more of his presence in our lives. I think at this time we could all do with more of the comfort of God that we see here, wiping away our tears. We could do more with more of the tenderness of God that we see expressed here. I truly believe that one of the things that God is looking to do in this time in, in his church is he is He's using all, all that we're going through to draw us closer to himself. Let's be a church that, as it says in verse six, is thirsty for him. That we're thirsty when we come together like we're going to be able to do tonight. I'm, I'm really hoping we just get to experience some of his presence together tonight. But people who are thirsty in our own lives, in our own time, that say to God, no, I, I see now nothing else will do. The created world is good, but I cannot get my fullness from it. I need you, God. Would you come to me? That even in our separate rooms, as we can't mix households, as we've got four weeks of, of on our own ahead of us for some of us, that we would be able to cultivate the presence of God in our lives and know he is richly with each of us.